0: I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad.
1: Welcome to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock and Murat Verdi. This is episode 401 for September 3rd, 2012. My guest today is organist Matthew Kaminsky, who's a jazz organist and also the organ player for the Atlanta Braves. I'm recording this at the 2012 Detroit International Jazz Festival, which is really a fantastic festival. If you've never been here... It's all free, it's huge, and this year the lineup is crazy, although I thought it was excellent last year too, which was the first time I came. I spent a couple hours yesterday in the company of Sonny Rollins, which was really lovely. I guess maybe that was two days ago actually. And you'll be hearing that coming up on the September 10th show, which is I guess a week from today. And also my birthday, but don't tell anybody. And I've just had a, a wonderful time getting to see a lot of people from the music industry and uh, a lot of great musicians and tons of great performances. It's a really, really wonderful festival, and I highly recommend coming to Detroit each Labor Day weekend for the rest of your life. <laughs> just just do it. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo, and Rob Grundel who designed the Jazz or Bust logo. Speaking of Jazz or Bust, that's of course the name of the tour around the country that I've been doing. That's where I recorded this interview with Matthew Kaminsky down in Atlanta. And the Jazz or Bust tour has to take a little bit of a break, although actually for the next week or so I'll be in Canada doing some more touring there. But really I'll be in Canada because it's someplace that people will take me in. Uh, As you may have read at jasoncrane.org in a blog post titled The End of the Line, the, the tour has to take a break because effectively because I'm broke. Uh I have not had a home in a couple of months, a few months now actually. And I've kind of made up for that by going on tour, but now I don't even really have enough money to continue going on tour and I'm I'm kind of in dire straits. So, I tell you this because if you're listening to this show but you're not yet a member of the jazz session, now is the time, really. I really need your help at thejazzsession.com slash join. You can become a member for as little as 10 bucks a month. There are also yearly levels starting at $110 a year, and right now that is my only source of income. And believe me, I, uh, I could really use your help to keep this thing going and to keep myself going. So please visit thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member today. Thank you very much. There's a mailing list for this show. You can get it at thejazzsession.com. Just click on mailing list up at the top of the page. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, where I tweet about jazz and other things. And now on with the show, Matthew Kaminsky tweets under the handle Braves Organist, and that is in fact his job. He's the organist for the Atlanta Braves, which is a, a cool profession, and we talk about that. And of course, we talk about his career as a jazz organist as well. We'll hear some music from his album Taking My Time first, though. Here's Matthew Kaminsky on the organ. we to say this is a first and i'm gonna say probably a last for the jazz session that i'm sitting in the press box at a major league <laughs> baseball park at uh, turner field in atlanta and i'm here with matthew kaminsky who uh, many folks know from twitter as braves organist he's also a very fine jazz organ player uh, and we'll talk about that part of your life in a little while but first of all thanks for having me here at turner field it's great to be here that's oh, my pleasure uh tell me what where we're sitting what we're looking at what your view is uh, each day when you do this part of your life
2: well, we're sitting in the press box. Um, the, usually the organ player would be in a separate booth or even in the audio room. But, um, we're in the press box because the massive, um, control board that they have in the audio booth took pretty much the whole space. So the previous organist, I guess, was in that same booth with a lot, um, smaller mixer. But since they have a huge mixing board now, um, they could not fit me anywhere else. So I'm on the opposite end of the audio booth, hence I have to wear a headset that gets me in contact with the audio booth and and my uh, producer and whatnot. So we have a great view of more of the third base side of the stadium, and the reason why they wanted me here as well is because when uh, I primarily play walk-ups for the opposing team, and when the other batter comes up to bat, I'm playing songs that kind of make fun of them you know, like um, Forever Young for Young or Fool on the Hill for Hill. But the reason why I think they also wanted me on this side is so I could see who was coming up to bat. And if it's a pinch hitter, I don't usually get a cue. Now, what you're hearing now <laughs> seems like, I think, maybe the national anthem or there's some sort yeah, of Yeah, because we, we walked
1: in behind a band of some kind yeah I, I think that's them. Yeah.
2: yeah. Usually before the game, they'll have a special guest artist doing the national... Actually, I've only done the national anthem here once. Oh, wow. Because usually there's someone who's been chosen or um, a school that has sold enough tickets <laughs> 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 to do the national anthem. Before the game over here, there's usually batting practice um, from both teams, and I'll, I'll get over here and uh, start learning a whole bunch of songs.
1: Okay, so tell me about that. Uh, How long in advance do you know the names of the people who are going to play on any given day? Which is um, what you base your song selection on.
2: Being my fourth year here at the Braves, I kind of know the players on the main teams, or the more frequent teams. So the Braves always play the Mets, they always play the Marlins, they always play the um, Philadelphia Phillies. So I kind of know what to expect with them. But with other teams, like today we're playing the Diamondbacks, It's usually a day before where I'll actually start thinking about it. Okay. And that's where I'll go on Twitter and um, and I'll say, you know, I'm thinking about this for this person. What do you think? So usually uh, it's a day before where I start kind of thinking about it. But I usually don't learn the pieces. And when I say pieces, it's usually about 20 to 30 seconds. So it's not like I'm learning entire songs. But I usually don't learn it. Until about maybe three or two hours before the game. Oh
1: wow! Because if okay. I
2: if I try to learn it the day before, really I'll just forget it for the next day. Right. <laughs> so I want it fresh in my mind, and I want to know who's actually playing in the game. So as we enter today, you saw on a big board the roster for today's game because the rosters change game per game. So another reason why I don't wait till the day of the game is because I'm not quite sure who might be playing. Sure. Now I have a good idea, and on on the, the their individual websites, they'll say the. are the starters who are the non-starters okay so who who's more more than likely going to be playing um so yeah it's usually the the first day of a particular series where i'll learn songs for the main people but as um as the game goes on or even as the pregame goes on people are still tweeting me suggestions sure and a lot of times those suggestions are a lot better than what i've been practicing (laughs) (laughs) or they're just a lot funnier So I'm constantly learning songs or snippets of songs before and even during a game.
1: talked a little bit about this in the car as we were driving around atlanta but uh the the twitter thing has really become a pretty big part of what you do i mean you're a you're a popular online presence and people seem to get a lot of joy out of both suggesting things to you uh reacting to what you play when they're right here in the stadium and then if they're fans of the opposing team often criticizing the fun that you're making of their players but tell me about how the the social media
2: piece came to be well um our our producer um who's on Headset, or I'm listening to on Headset, he was just really just wondering one day what the difference between Facebook and Twitter was. And um, really, I didn't know. I I was on Facebook, and and before that, way long ago, MySpace. But, um, you know, I I just kind of checked it out. I wanted to see what it was all about. And I soon figured out that um, on Twitter, you don't have to be someone's friend to view what they're posting about. And I think that's the main difference, is you could... Search the raves, and and you'll see all those posts. So a couple of days later, one of the other guys in the um, in the audio booth, which is what we call Braves Vision, he started writing down or asking me what songs I was playing for each player, and then he started um, posting it on his Twitter page. Pretty shortly after, I got kind of tired of him asking me. <laughs> like, I didn't, you know, I'm like, don't ask. <laughs> I'll just write it down myself. So I started posting what I was playing at. Each game. Now back then I was only playing one song per person per game. These days I like to do like two or three songs per person. So each time they come up to bat they get something they different. They get something different. I'm um, usually I'll do the first one twice in a row just so people could catch it. Right. At least one of the times. So yeah, he started posting what I was playing and, uh, and I, I just kinda got tired of him asking so I started posting what I was playing but it slowly got to a point where I started asking what I should play rather than what I was going to play. And I think that's what people love the most. People want to be a part of the game and people want to know that what they have suggested for me happened. And when it does happen, um, um, I'll get tweets every game about like how happy they are. It's like the best day of their <laughs> life or something that I've actually played um, Born This Way by Lady Gaga for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's and today, I'm, you know, today I'm playing like a virgin. You know, so I, I get to learn these wonderful, uh, pieces of art for the sake of, uh, baseball fans.
1: Now you're playing like a virgin because there's a, a young phenom who's having his debut today. Is that the, yeah, the so case? Yeah, so today's
2: his first game. So, and who's this person? So he's popping his baseball cherry today. <laughs> <laughs> um, his name is, uh, what is his name? something about yeah Trevor Bauer Oh that's right I guess he's um he's supposed to be kind of the next young uh pitching phenom
1: And so when you reached out to the fans for Trevor Bauer, what did they come back to you with in terms
2: of song suggestions? Well, um, actually, I've never um, really watched this show, but um, I think Jack Bauer is the main character on 24. So people, at first they were saying I should do the theme song, but then some people were saying I should just do like the clock ticking. And um, I figured out that the theme song doesn't really sound like a really hummable melody. It's more like a movie scoring um, kind of background uh, music so so i ended up um looking at a kind of like a clock ticking thing on youtube about 24 and it turns out it's just going to be two notes so it's just a beep 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 <laughs> <laughs> so actually that's i think that's gonna be pretty cool i i don't know how many people will get it <laughs> but um actually what comes similar to that um there's a guy named by the name of morse M-O-R-S-E for uh, the Nationals. And I actually do play Morse code. S-O-S for mo- Morse. I think uh, next time they come, actually they're coming in tomorrow. I think I'm going to try to play O-U-T out for Morse. But, um. That's going to appeal to, to a
1: very specific subset of people who know Morse code, I think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's I'm, fantastic. You know, there's, there's usually some military people out there. Oh, fair so, enough. Yeah, yeah might, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> now, tell me what exactly you, what instrument you're, you're playing here. What's sitting in front of us? We have two keyboards uh, right in front of us. here.
2: Yeah, pretty much I've made my own virtual organ. So uh, here at the stadium, they had a Yamaha electric piano, kind of um, what they call the Clavinova series of electric pianos, which is a great home electric piano, but it didn't really have a great organ sound and um I, I did it for the first season where I just was never happy with its organ sound. So um one of the um I guess one of the perks of being the organist is I get kind of more exposure where I, I've actually gotten an endorsee from Hammond, which is I'm really proud of, um, through my friend Tony Monaco. And um so I, I, I end up getting a Hammond keyboard um, called the SK1, which I sit on top of this Yamaha keyboard and I MIDI them all together. And I have also bought a Hammond, um, pedal board. I'm not too sure what the model number is, but so pretty much I have a virtual organ where it's upper manual, lower manual, and pedal board, but all the sounds are coming from the Hammond keyboard. Okay. So nothing else, like the Yamaha keyboard is not really making the sounds. It's just a, just kind of uh, a, a controller the, Okay. I call. However, um, with MIDI cables, sometimes there may be glitches. <laughs> like I found out <laughs> yesterday when sounds just started playing on their own. <laughs> um, but, uh, hopefully that's just the cable.
1: Okay. So now during the game, uh, you're wearing a headset and what are you hearing inside the headset?
2: I hear voices. <laughs> I hear dead people. Now, um, I hear the producer's voice as well as the audio engineer. Um, I could hear more people's voices, but I choose not to because I think that's, um, that's quite enough. Um, but the producer is in control of every, um, everything you hear and see around the stadium. Um, so there's a huge screen that's in front of us, um, that has a lot of things going on about it, as well as, um, there are things before the game, like the national anthem and all that type of stuff. So he's controlling, um, everything that's happening during the game. And the audio engineer is controlling the volumes. And a, a reason why I have to talk to the audio engineer is because He's playing the non organ sounds. So there's a lot of clapping, there's a lot of sirens, there's even um pre recorded music like um Shipper Jones gets crazy trained by Ozzy. There's a lot of non organ sounds that happen. And if he doesn't let me know when to play, then we have the we have the potential of playing on top of each other, which wouldn't not be good. Um so he, He's really the controller of the volumes and he tells me when to play as well as the producer, but it's usually the audio engineer that tells me when to play because he's, he's in control of all the volumes of, of the screen and even of the PA announcer and of me. So I'm, I'm constantly listening for really just the word organ. When I hear organ, I'm playing. And, um, as you'll see tonight, I really have to be alert at all times because I never know. When I'm gonna, Well, I, I kind of know certain points when I have to play, but I could play at any moment. Not um, just when someone is walking up, in other words. Correct. Um, because um, when uh, the Braves are up to bat, I'm doing a lot of the charges, like da-da-da-da-da-da, and all that type of stuff. So I never know when it's my turn. Uh, I'm just listening for my name. And then sometimes something happens around the field, like someone gets hurt, and then I'm called up to play. Or if there's some sort of um, meeting at the mound, um, a lot of times... I like to play if I only had a brain, if, uh, <laughs> if the other team's catcher goes to talk to his pitcher. So I, I'm always kind of alert and ready to play at any given moment. Um, and that's kind of the, um, it's exciting, but it's also kind of the hard part because I have to keep in mind what I may play at any given moment. So, um, I can't just like, take a couple seconds to think because a couple seconds is like an eternity out there when there's dead noise out there you, you don't want that um so i've gotten pretty good at having like four or five songs in my head ready to go uh whenever they need me
1: Do they actually tell you, do they say like, organ, charge, or something like that, or do they? No,
2: they're actually, uh, actually that's, that's pretty cool that they're not that specific. Okay. Um, I, I know when, um, you know, I, I kind of know when I should do a charge, or when I should do like, if you're happy in you know, clap your hands, or the Me- uh, Mexican hand clapping song, but, um, I'm glad that they're not super specific, because sure. then I would have to really, It would give me another couple seconds to think about what to play. Right. Whereas I could just let my fingers go wherever I wanted to go. (laughs) Do you have to approve your song selections with anyone? No, I, um, you know, I tend to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. (laughs) <laughs> so I've gonna I'm gonna try it until someone tells me not to. <laughs> that
1: sounds great. Now we've talked about the people who uh tweet you and say oh it's fantastic that you played my tune, but I also know from talking to you uh, you know just because we know each other a little bit mm-hmm. that you get people who aren't so happy sometimes from uh, the opposing teams fans. Uh can you talk about some of those experiences?
2: Yeah. Um you know I think a lot of times other teams fans are actually um they're actually very excited about me playing for their team. However, they're in, they're excited in a way that I'm going to play something that cheers them on. But they'll soon realize that I don't really cheer on the other team. <laughs> um, but then, then other player, um, other fans of the other team will actually give me the scoop or the lowdown on what the, um, you know, the other player has done or whatever, um, something about their name or, there's someone who he's going out with, or something like that. So, uh, sometimes the other team's fans are actually very good in letting me know what to play or um, or uh, giving me suggestions. However, some fans don't like what I do, and some some fans think that it's um, I guess a traditional organist would be playing a lot of so- like standards from the thirties, forties, and fifties, and um, they wouldn't do like pop songs and stuff. A lot of people think that that's kind of breaking away from tradition. Uh, I had uh, kind of a Twitter argument with the one fan that, actually a Braves fan, who thought it was kind of classless that I play, say, full on the hill for hill. And uh, I think people take take it way too seriously. I think the fans are here to have fun, and I'm trying to add more to their game experience. Because, you know, I could, I could sit here and play, you know songs that don't mean anything in the game but that to me that wouldn't be really fun i want the song to actually mean something just like if um i think there's a story about charlie parker um like playing at a club and he saw some beautiful woman walk in and he played a song that said that very thing i don't know if it's embraceable you or whatever he played um but i like that kind of thought that I, i could play something that pertains to what's going on sure um in the stadium
1: uh, we're going to mostly talk about your jazz life and the other part of this. But I, mm-hmm. I do want to ask you whether whether your experience as an improvising player uh, comes to bear on this at all, and then whether that kind of complete concentration, that spur-of-the-moment readiness to react to the producer uh, seeps its way into your jazz playing, whether you find that they kind of cross-pollinate each other in any way.
2: Yeah, I think they do. Um, to answer your first question, I think a classical musician would have to pretty much buy or download tons of music. They would be spending a lot of money learning. Because for each game, I'm playing at least snippets of, I would say, 20 songs. The classically trained musician may not, who's, I would say, who's um, not good at playing by ear, would have a hard time with that. Whereas, um, you know, I love classical music. I, I still play classical music, but... I've always um, known how to play pretty well by ear or pretty quickly by ear. So I think that's one of the main things about my job that – or about my playing that really works well with this job. Because if it took me like a half an hour, an hour to learn each song, it would be – that would take a lot of time. (laughs) It
1: would be like an 80-hour-a-week job. (laughs) Yeah.
2: like Before the game, I only spend like a half an hour, an hour learning – these 15 songs i don't want to spend 15 hours learning 15 songs um so um being a jazz musician and being um an improvising musician really has helped that and the second part of your question was um kind of whether that level uh, of
1: focus that you have to bring to this job you know where you said you're kind of always ready to just play at a moment's notice whether you find that that has any bearing on the i think so
2: because um Even while I'm playing at the game, the producer is talking and even giving me instructions while I'm playing. So I think that um, me being able to change what I do or even stopping or finishing a song early um, or taking directions while I play here, I think that helps on the bandstand, even though it's less verbal on the bandstand. Um, But when I'm playing with someone who's giving me cues and say they want to change up the feel of the song, it's a lot Easier since I'm used to changing things on the spot over here. Sure. So I think um, I think both both parts of my musical life really help each other out.
1: And finally, uh, for this part of our interview, you mentioned to me that while the game is going on, the organ is actually live the whole time, and so you can't practice anything or learn a song actually on the organ. So will you talk about Correct. how you how you get around that problem?
2: Well, believe it or not, um, I think I was. Uh, I was really um ambitious at this time of the first year really. I was really ambitious at, and, and I thought I was, you know, going to use all my ear training um that I learned uh uh in college, but at first I would actually learn songs just in my head thinking of really just thinking of ear training and solfège that we we all musicians, you solfege know, solfège being um,
1: do re mi fa sol la ti do. Yeah, rap,
2: so like. I would think, you know, this melody starts on do and it sounds like it's going to the four chord and um so I was really actually kind of ambitious and I and actually got really good at it. However, that's that's a pretty hard thing to do to test out a song in front of fifty thousand people <laughs> for the first time <laughs> that you've never played before. Just um, you know, uh off the top of your head, yeah, I'm I'm sure that Chris Potter could do it, no problem. But you know, I, I was finding it a little bit difficult. My next step after that was just going on, uh, I would bring my laptop in, or I started, started bringing my laptop in, and I would go on um, those guitar uh, tab crawler sites and all that type of stuff. So I would at least know the chords. Okay. And then I would just make up the melody as I went, or um, try to figure out the melody as I went along. That was my next step, which is a lot easier. Sure. Knowing the chords of the song. But now what I do is I bring a, an iPad with me, and I have a... Um, I have an app. It's an organ app where I could actually just listen to a song on YouTube um, really quickly, and then go go to that app and just test it out through another pair of headphones. So I'm having headphones like crazy here, <laughs> and um, so I, I test it out for a couple seconds before I actually play it in front of forty thousand people or so. Sure, um, and that's a lot more. Um, that's a lot more weight off my shoulders. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and now, are you ever having to learn songs? during the game? You said in the half hour or hour before the game you're learning the things that you've already figured out you're going to play, but are you ever Mm -hmm. because of like a last minute sub or something like that, having to figure out a song while the game is Yeah, all the time.
2: Actually I, I get tweets during the game. So I'm always um up to playing someone for something during the game. Now, people who aren't really who haven't been following me sometimes will ask me to play random songs that don't mean anything to what's going on. And then I have to like go through this whole tweet spiel about, well, I only play songs for the other guys and I only do walk up songs that, you know, um, make fun of them and all that type of stuff. But um, a lot of times during the game, um, people are, you know, giving me some great suggestions that i never thought of. So like in between an ending, I'll go to the YouTube and I'll try to learn something for the next at bat. I, I would usually say every, I mean, I'm learning at least one or two songs every game. During, during, during the game. the course of the yeah. game, sure if it, not more
1: is your iPad how you're also following the, the Twitter stream during the game
2: I don't have the keyboard hookup to the iPad and um, which which I should get but um, so I, I usually tweet on my phone it's okay. a lot easier with my thumbs I guess okay um, but I'm usually looking at the Twitter page on the iPad um, so for people so. to picture during while the game is going on you
1: have an iPad with a Twitter feed open the iPad mm-hmm. also has the organ app. You have the keyboard in front of you, the pedals at your feet. You have a set of mm-hmm. headphones on for instructions from the producer and audio engineer. You have another set of headphones so that you can listen to the iPad when you need to. Mm-hmm. And you also have your phone to tweet, tweet people back. And that's all happening kind of simultaneously while the game is going
2: on. And my friends will uh, text me during the game. <laughs> and sometimes my <laughs> friends, uh, uh, they don't... They don't stop bothering me during the day. <laughs> They're not <laughs> bothering me, but, uh, um, they want their stuff in first. Right. <laughs> um, That's or great. I hear it from them the next day or whenever I see them next. Sure. Um, and then I'll, you know, I'll tweet my wife and see how my wife and I, my daughter are doing. So I'm, I'm quite the multitasker, That's I think, great. over here.
1: <laughs> oh, finally, I wanted to ask you, how mm-hmm. do you actually hear what what you're playing. I mean, given that we're in, you know, effectively an enormous bowl, I imagine there has to be Mm -hmm. like a lot of slapback delay on what you're playing. Yeah, there's
2: definitely, um, and I've I've actually played some college games where there's only speakers on the opposite end of the stadium. So it's more like a two or three second delay. Over here, so, you know, maybe a half a second or so. But um, I'm hearing everything through the same headset that I talked to the producer and the audio engineer. So there's this whole kind of intercom box that hooks up to the organ, um, and I'm able to control the volume on both. Okay. Um, I'm unable to control the volume of what comes out in the stadium, so the audio guy is in charge of that, and I'm always getting tweets about, like, people should say, like, turn me up, turn me up, I have no control. <laughs> so, um, But I have control over what I hear in my headset, but as the crowds get bigger and as the noise gets louder, I find myself turning them up during the game. And by the end of the game, my ears are ringing because <laughs> you know when there's you know, when it's a full house, there's fifty thousand people in here when there's a full house, and it gets loud in here, sure, so i you know I kind of wish that I could have just uh, some sort of like computer speakers or something where I don't have to use headphones at all, yeah but um I'm in the press box where there's uh reporters all around us here, and, and we try not to bother them uh with anything um Actually, one thing we can't do is cheer. So unfortunately, um, because there are reporters for the other team, and um, you know, even though I cheer in my own way, um, you know, I can't be very vocal in here. Sure. Um, Although you you but, are almost the only person in the room who does in fact get to cheer, I and mean, you
1: have a very loud sound system through which correct. through which to yeah, do it. Yes, right so I'm, I'm cheering in other ways, <laughs> right. but not through my mouth. <laughs>
2: sure. Or through, I guess, uh, you know, I'm not swearing at the other team right. or anything like that <laughs> that I do at home. That's great. <laughs> focus now if we can to
1: your uh, your jazz playing career and uh, tell me first about the record taking my time which came out uh in 2011 am i remembering that correctly or did it come out earlier um
2: i think 2010 2010 okay yeah. great um well it's my first official release under my own name um, i've been in several other bands before but um um it was uh produced by um a guy named tony monaco who's um who i consider one of the top um, hammond organ players in the country he's out of columbus ohio and he has an offshoot label off of Summit Records. So Summit Records is the semi-big label um, out of Arizona. And um, his offshoot record company is called Chicken Coop Records. I've known Tony for, I guess, five or six years now. And um, he's always really supported me. So he's, he's really a, a good mentor to me. I call him Uncle Tony. And he had enough faith in me to release my CD. It's a... Uh, um half originals half um standards and i actually recorded it in my own uh, music studio i'm using different musicians around atlanta um and actually different combinations so there's i think there's three different drummers on different tracks not at the same time and there's a couple different guitar players and uh, one saxophone player um and i think i like that variety of either organ trio organ guitar or drums or organ quartet with organ guitar drums and tenor sax. Um, the saxophone player's name is E.J. Hughes, who did a wonderful job. And then, um, and then, uh, with my originals, um, everything really had a nice, diverse sound to it. So I'm really proud of that record.
1: Talk to me about, it seems like the jazz organ, uh, kind of club, the people who play jazz organ is, is fairly tight knit and people who play jazz organ seem pretty, uh, is fanatical the wrong word? I don't know, but seemed yeah. pretty focused on that instrument. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in when you first started realizing that you were going to become part of that.
2: Well, I am. I'm club. definitely a fanatic for the jazz organ. <laughs> I think, uh, when I was in high school, I was asked to play piano in the uh, high school jazz band. And the director, actually, a guy named Scott Bleakey was in the Buddy Rich band. He was actually a really good trombone player. Um, and he had, uh, he had heard that I had played organ, because when I grew up, I played more of a Lawrence Welk type of Hammond pop organ, <laughs> I guess you would say, or more of a theater style. And um, so he, he heard that I played organ, and he gave me uh, an album by um, Jerry Francesco called Rebopin, which I think was his second release. Um, it could have been... Yeah, I think it was his second release. And I had no clue that the organ could be played in jazz or... Or in that manner, um, you know, Jody Francesco is definitely um, one of the top um, organists out there. So that really kind of spurred my interest. I wasn't quite fanatical yet, but that spurred my interest. And then after that, I started reading more into it or asking, you know, my jazz band director. And everything led me to Jimmy Smith or everyone led me to Jimmy Smith. So I bought an album called Foremost, which is one of his later albums, maybe uh, early 90s. And um, it was uh, uh, Jimmy Smith, Grady Tate on drums, um, Kenny Burrell on guitar, and um, uh, Stanley Turntine. So kind of the classic organ lineup. And I think from that moment, I was hooked. When I got that album, just hearing what Jimmy Smith could do on the organ, and um and I guess I was impressed with all the fast playing as well. Like when you're in high school, you want to play fast and all that type of stuff. So it really intrigued me and it really um, started me down a path where I'm definitely a fanatic now.
1: one of the few instruments that rivals you know if you're a piano player you just know you're never going to have your instrument if you're an upright bass player you can have your instrument it's just a real pain in the neck but the Mm -hmm. organ is in that beautiful area between where it is in fact possible to have your own instrument at a gig but it also takes a van or a truck and a Mm -hmm. couple of fairly burly guys and that whole thing so it's not the easiest thing to decide to focus on as your main instrument did you ever give that any consideration just the practical aspect of becoming an organist i mean there's almost no clubs with organs you know that kind of right
2: yeah um yeah but i think i don't know if when i first thought about it i didn't think i'd be out there playing as much as i have so i thought i was gonna just do it at home and i would just learn jimmy smith and jimmy mcgriff and jack mcduff albums and songs at home uh, without the thought of going out there with an instrument but then it um some gigs got lined up and um and I actually uh, borrowed my parents van and for eight years I brought out um, brought around to my uh Hammond b3 organ and I had a Leslie um it was a short boy what they call it, 142 so it's not the huge 122 which is the taller one it's the 142 And uh, t- talk about what object you're talking about for people who the, don't the know the Leslie speaker is the speaker that um, that yeah. produces the sound for the Hammond organ
1: and it rotates inside and right which is kind of correct. that classic it, there's a the sound. Um,
2: there's a horn on the top and then there's kind of like a rotating baffle on the bottom that cr- creates that kind of um, tremolo or um, that spinning sound and um, the Leslie speakers are usually wooden Um, and they're usually really tall, but, um, like I said, I had a shorter one. You will enjoy that. The place I
1: stayed in Raleigh last night, the nightstand next to my bed was an old Leslie speaker. Oh, was it? (laughs) Oh
2: yeah. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually now curious what, uh, what model, (laughs) but, um, originally Hammond made their own speakers, but the Hammond, um, speakers did not rotate, but they still sounded good and, um, they were just a straight sound without that spinning quality. So, um, um, so yeah, I was, I was bringing out around the Leslie and the, the Hammond B3. And um, I did that for a good eight years, um, you know, through many clubs, through lifting it up with four people on stage and um, didn't really do too many steps. I know I've heard of organ players going up flights of stairs and stuff. I guess I got lucky in that respect. But I have these dollies called Roller Carry dollies, and those you attach to either side of the organ, and you roll it into your van, and then you roll it out of the van into the club or into the restaurant. So it, um, I definitely got that experience as an authentic B3 player, but I, I did get kind of tired of moving around. So uh, honestly, I, I ended up buying more of the Hammond portable products, and I have, I have a keyboard called the Hammond XK3, which is now made by Hammond Suzuki, which I'm I proudly an endorsey for, along with some portable pedals, I think, for me, it does the trick. There are some purists out there who'll never go to a digital instrument. They actually call them clones. But to me, I um, I think the portability outweighs <laughs> um, the authenticness. Um, and I think um, the new stuff sounds great to me. And, and the new um, products also have advantages over the old products as well. Like pulling up sounds right away rather than drawing a series of
1: levers so to speak or- Yeah,
2: well the um, the new keyboards also have draw bars that the Hammond organs do. But in the in the new keyboards you could pull up, up you know, limited amount of sounds right away whereas on draw bars you would have to fiddle around with it and it would take you, you know, a couple seconds longer. You know, I could certainly do both, but um, on my Hammond uh, keyboards that I have, I have certain sounds that are in my presets, just like the old Hammond organ, but in the new Hammond organs you could really specialize it to what you're doing. So there's just little advantages like that. Um, I have a Leslie, a newer Leslie speaker made by Hammond now um, that is uh, two different pieces. So there's like a bass speaker part, it's called the Leslie 21 system. There's a bass speaker part and a rotating speaker part that come up that are two separate units, so that you can put it in the front seat of your car. Um, so, so I definitely appreciate the uh, real portability that that provides, and it's really to me, um, you know, it doesn't sound like a B3 with a Leslie 122, but it has its own sound, and I consider it really a different instrument. So it's um, to me, it has definitely its own character
1: outside of uh the record we just talked about and of course the braves thing you uh have a lot of other performance opportunities here in atlanta you talk about what some of those are
2: yeah i um I'm really proud of myself for being really uh, diverse in my music styles. So in addition to playing organ, I play piano and I play accordion. Um, so I actually play piano in a salsa band quite a bit called Orchestra Makuba. And we play um, pretty much all Saturdays um, when I'm up with the Braves. And we play a lot of different functions and stuff. Um, I play a lot of jazz piano around the city. And my degree um, from Georgia State University is... Um, I have a graduate or a master's of music degree in jazz piano. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm proud that I could still gig on that instrument as well, even though jazz organ is what I, you know, really live for. Um, I play accordion in a polka band <laughs> and I also play, um, the accordion in a kind of a gypsy jazz Django Reinhardt slash, um, French Italian musette type band, um, so, I really, um, I really love the world music styles as well. I believe you had a recording player named Rob Curto on your show, and I love that whole, uh, Choro music from Brazil and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm open to playing all sorts of different music. And then, you know, here at the Braves, I play everything. Right. <laughs> so, so I, um, you know, even though my, my heart really is into jazz organ. Um, you know, I still um, enjoy playing all sorts of different music.
1: We talked earlier about this idea uh, of this, uh, the word we just used off the air was fraternity, but that's actually, that implies that they're all men, which is not the case. There are many famous women who are organists too. Uh, But there's this kind of small group, this like social network of organ players. And Mm -hmm. you've had the chance, uh, you already mentioned Tony Monaco, but you've had the chance to interact with with many of them. Will you talk about that?
2: Yeah, I feel like, us jazz organists, we really know um, what it takes to become a jazz organist. And uh, and I guess there's just um, so, mu- so much less jazz organists in the world than, say, pianists or, or whatever. Or
1: ja- almost anything. Jazz, or anything. Almost jazz anything, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I'll definitely have to mention a guy named Pete Fallico. Pete Falico is a, actually a DJ out of um, San Jose, California. And he has a website called the Doodlin' Lounge, and he is definitely one of the most fanatical proponents of jazz organ as well. Um, but we all, we all kind of, um, I guess, try to check each other out and uh, gravitate towards one another. So whenever I travel anywhere, um, I try to make friends and, and see my fellow jazz organists. So, um, over the years, um, I'm from Chicago, so I, um, I go up there quite a bit and I've gotten to, um, gotten to know Chris Foreman, who's a wonderful organ player who plays in the Deep Blue Organ Trio with Bobby Broom. Um, he plays at a place called the Green Mill, uh, which is an amazing place. Um, there's a guy in, um, Louisville, Kentucky. His name is Todd Hildreth. He is actually in a band called the Java Men, who was really good back then, um, who else? In, in New York City, um, actually, I was just there a couple of years ago, and I saw Michael Adan at Smoke, which is um, one of the top places in the country to play jazz organ. You know, Smoke is kind of where Larry Goldings um, kind of got his start. I believe it was called Auggies First. Um, so he kind of started the whole jazz organ thing over there. I've met Larry Goldings before, actually, in Nashville. Um, he played at the... Um, the jazz workshop which you were just at Mm -hmm. a couple days ago um even on my honeymoon my my lovely wife kathleen was uh nice enough to let me go and see some jazz so i saw a wonderful player named will blades and will um plays with uh billy martin of Medeski martin and wood he also plays with will bernard and uh stan moore um even in Jacksonville, florida there's a guy named scott giddens who actually plays quite a bit with bob reynolds um who's been on your show and, um, in town, there's a guy named Ike Stubblefield, who's a wonderful player, um, from, uh, Detroit. Um, David Ellington from, uh, New Orleans. So whenever, uh, actually there's another guy named Mose Davis, who's in town, who's actually from, I think he's from Detroit as well. He's in a band called The Counts. Um, so whenever I go anywhere, I try to make friends and really have this camaraderie with all the organ players. Oh, another guy from, D- michigan named jim alfredson he has a band called organissimo and he he's wonderful he actually tours around with the blues band as well another girl in columbus ohio ohio her name is linda dactyl um
1: well actually i know linda a little bit Yeah.
2: yeah linda's a wonderful player she's actually a student of uh both hank marr and tony monaco um so we we all try um i like to think that we all try to help each other out and and that we're kind of a fraternity and uh we all try to support each other, which I I really love. I love that um, aspect. And there's actually a fellowship called the Jazz Organ Fellowship started by Pete Fallico, where we all kind of um, we have a organ hall of fame. Melvin Ryan is actually um, Mel Ryan is gonna be inducted this year. So you know, I really love that kind of um, community that we have. I wanna this is I hope not
1: too self-serving, but I want to mm-hmm. mention uh one of my favorites and a guy who was one of my favorite human beings, too, who's Gene Ludwig, oh, uh, yeah. who was on this show. And there's also a poem about him in my book. Uh And just uh, he and uh, his wife, Patty, are just two of the – Gene was, and she is uh, two of the finest human beings I know. And I'd just like to recognize him as another great organ player who's unfortunately yeah, now gone.
2: Unfortunately, I did not get to meet Gene before he passed away, but he was definitely um – um one of the top guys for a long time you know he was he was back there when everything started um i think there's a couple others i'm or i didn't mention oh pat bianchi is another uh, wonderful organ player who lives in new york now and whenever he comes in atlanta we always try to um actually set up a show for him over here one time uh kind of a pre-show before his his other gig um he's he's really helped me over the years as well so um yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something that I feel very, um, I guess, proud of being in this fraternity of jazz organ players.
1: My guest is Matthew Kaminsky. He's a jazz organist, and uh, also you can find him or more easily hear him uh, at Turner Field playing organ for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for getting me up here in the press box and for taking the time to talk to me, and in fact for hosting me here in Atlanta, which is uh, wonderful. I appreciate it. Yeah,
2: we're definitely happy to have you.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Matthew. That's music from Matthew Kaminsky. And my thanks to the Atlanta Braves for making that possible. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock and Murat Verdi. You can subscribe to the Jazz Session in iTunes if you like. You can also rate the Jazz Session in iTunes. And if you give it a nice rating, it just helps it go up in the rankings and makes it more likely that other folks will discover it. Please do become a member. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, things are a bit... uh, A bit dire for your intrepid host, and I really need some more members to help keep this thing going. So uh, please do become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. And now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.